0: Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome, everyone, to episode 23, the Cedric Sabalos of the Walder Sportscast. It's your friendliest of friendly host, Chris Walder here. And hey, if you're out there on that social media grind, go find me on Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. And while you're at it, drop a rating and review for the show if you like what you hear, because it does help out the show a great deal. Now, I hope everyone is staying healthy and happy out there. The COVID-19 numbers, at least in my home province of Ontario, are on the rise. I don't mean to sound preachy, but let's continue to wear our masks, practice social distancing, and get through this pandemic together. Uh, 2020 is soon drawing to a close, believe it or not, and hopefully 2021 will bring us some better days. But... You're listening to the Walder Sportscast, so this day can't be all that bad, right? So, to brighten it up even more so, I'll be chatting it up with Yasmin Duwale on today's episode. Uh, You may know Yasmin as one of the many hosts of the Dishes and Dimes basketball podcast. She also writes for a number of outlets, including her blog, The Neon Playbook. I didn't get a chance to address many of the Toronto Raptors' latest moves on the last show, so Yasmin will bring her expertise to discuss all of those, plus a ton more news on today's podcast. But I have to drop a cheap plug on you first, so if you haven't already, once you're done with this show... Go back in the vault and give a listen to last week's episode where I had on The Score's Chico Nishan to run down all of the initial stories coming out of NBA Free Agency, plus some Degrassi The Next Generation rankings, his love for Anna Kendrick, and plenty more. Uh, Chico is a good dude, so support the podcast and support him by checking out his interview. With all that being said, though, Yasmin will be joining me after this quick break, so keep it locked. now is Yasmin Duwale, one of the many hosts of the incredibly popular Dishes and Dimes basketball podcast, as well as a writer for BasketballNews.com, Yahoo Sports Canada, and her own basketball culture blog, The Neon Playbook. Yasmin, welcome to the show.
1: Hey Chris, thanks for having me.
0: I, I feel like you're going through the podcast circuit over the past several months, Yasmin. Not only do you have, of course, your own podcast, but... I know you recently did an appearance on the Dunktown podcast as well. You've done Locked On Raptors, Raptors Republic, Free Association, Pound the Rock, you know, just to name a few. You're obviously an incredibly talented writer, but is there something more freeing about being behind a mic and talking basketball over, you know, perhaps sitting there typing word to screen? Or is it kind of like a neutral feeling for you?
1: Uh, No, that's exactly it. It's much easier, I'd say. Like, the process of writing, I feel like... Um, I, I'm more restricted in terms of like, I try to be objective. Um, (laughs) when I'm on like Raptor's podcast, I could just be like as biased as I want to be. Um, and I, I guess it's like less, um, uh, you know, less, less rules to follow. Um, you know, I don't have to edit myself, (laughs) which can be kind of tedious. So it just, it just gives me like something else to do a different, it's a different medium. So you approach it differently.
0: I also want to, of course, congratulate you and the rest of the Dishes and Dimes hosts on the success of the podcast. It's really taken off in a big way. You know, you have the partnership with BasketballNews.com now, and you've had some incredible guests as well. So there's certainly been more of a demand, I think, out there on social media to feature female voices, you know, more voices of color, not just in podcasting, but I think in sports media in general Do you ever feel an added ounce of pressure, you know, being near the forefront of this space and being an example for those out there who may feel that they're not being represented enough? Uh,
1: Not at all, honestly. I think the best thing I can do is just be myself uh, and that's going to be enough uh, because I think that when it comes to uh, media um when it comes to having voices that aren't typically represented all it does is just um give us more perspective it it enriches our understanding of you know the sport so it, it benefits everyone involved And, you know, the best that I can do in that scenario is just be myself. You know, I'm I'm new to this. I'm excited because I kind of found a niche in writing that I've just been looking for over the years. I've always known I wanted to be a writer, but it was within the last year that I really found um, just a a community uh, in in basketball writing that I've enjoyed so much. So I'm approaching this um, unjaded. It's new to me. Um, And I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, testing the waters now. um, And I can't wait until I have like a real full season as a basketball writer um, to, you know, um, learn and grow.
0: Was there any nerves on your end when you guys first started doing the podcast? Like, do you feel any added pressure, you know, doing the podcast, thinking about what you're saying, how you're saying it? Or have you kind of naturally formed into this groove as the more episodes that you guys have done?
1: Yeah, I think the first one was weird because we didn't really have a format. Uh, I wasn't really sure what our um, style would be. You know, you have the conversational style. You have the ones that are more like kind of regimented shows. Um, And I just found that I really like the conversational style. And I like having conversations about, you know, my interests. So it, it goes really well. And... Um, the, the hour that we record goes by super fast because you're just really having a conversation about something you really enjoy with friends.
0: Well, I did a podcast with one of your co-hosts and Raptors Twitter legend, Amon a while ago, where we discussed <laughs> representation or a lack thereof in sports media and shout out to Raptors Republic Samson folk for bringing that to my attention again, recently on Twitter. I'm curious from your perspective, Yasmin, you know, being a woman being a person of color, when you watch sports networks or read sports journalism these days, do you feel that enough is being done to incorporate different voices, different faces, different backgrounds? You know, more diversity all around.
1: Um, uh, definitely not. <laughs> but you know, it's something that I'm kind of used to. I love that I see you know an effort being put forth. Um, you know, by people um but you know unless i think it it, maybe it's something that has to happen at the grassroots level and work its way up um but you know we'll see it's something that i'm just kind of used to um right but like i said you know when we have different perspectives it just enriches our understanding especially when it comes to a sports a sport like nba basketball where you know the majority of the league are you know people of color um and it just um it, it gives us that deeper understanding of the interpretation of what we're seeing, um, and I think that everyone, all these uh, media companies, should be open to getting new voices and making their, uh, making their um, platforms more accessible to people. Because I feel like they're missing out on a lot, a lot of talent. Because not, you know, a lot of people have uh, the ability to do unpaid internships and things like that. So um, I think they should be more open to just plucking talent when they see it.
0: Do you think that anything can be done specifically to kind of incorporate more of those voices into these big mainstream conglomerates? Or is that kind of something that has to gradually occur on its own?
1: You know, I'm not sure, honestly, but I do know that when it comes to, um, you know, Twitter, for example, a lot of these companies kind of just already take what they see from these um, smaller communities on the platform. Uh, and incorporate it into you know their social media marketing and how they um, write their articles and stuff. So it's interesting to me, you know, why not just take the people who are igniting these conversations yeah. um, on the platform rather than just you know kind of co opting what's already being said? Um, but you know that that applies to so many um, mediums of writing. It's not just MBA writing. It's also music writing and culture writing and television writing. Uh, people kind of see these conversations and then they get the people who um you know had the formal education and the um the networking needed to access these platforms and um you know co-op that's already being ha- uh, the conversations already being had so um it would be nice if um the people who are you know the brains behind everything happening um receiving these opportunities but you know That's the reality right now. So hopefully there will be a change, you know, but you know, I'm not, I'm not going to like put myself under too much pressure because I feel like, um, just myself, you know, being myself and doing what I love is enough. And I feel like it'll show, um, other, you know, girls that it's completely possible. It's a line of work for yourself. You know, it's not a exclusive club or anything. Um, if you're interested, write about it.
0: Well, I think the Dishes and Dimes podcast is a prime example of a group of diverse hosts, you know, an all-female cast kind of carving out a space for themselves. And the success of the show, the success of all of you put together is kind of representative of a demographic that hasn't been shown in these mainstream companies. And I think your success is proof in the pudding that it can be done and it can be done right. So, again, I wish you guys all of the continued success on that front. But, you know, Yasmin, it's kind of a sharp turn. Discussion-wise, of course, but this is a basketball podcast, and we have to talk some (laughs) basketball, of course, you know, especially on the end of the Toronto Raptors. And we're both from the area, so there's a lot of Raptors focus on the show. And I have to start, obviously, at the beginning here with what set everything off, and that was Fred Van Vliet, of course, staying on a four-year, $85 million contract. So as teams, you know, began allocating their money elsewhere, it became more apparent that he wasn't really going anywhere with that being said, though, yeah. Fred is going to be around for the foreseeable future in a fairly prominent role and one day, not this season perhaps, but one day take over the mantle from Kyle Lowry as the team's primary ball handler, facilitator, scoring option. At that price, Yasmin, on that contract, are you confident in a Van Vliet led offense in a league where backcourt players are getting bigger and bigger? Because let's not, we're not kidding ourselves. Fred Van Vliet is not exactly the tallest guard out there
1: yeah um you know i think their deal the deal that they struck with fred was just really impressive i think the days leading up to it uh fans were kind of psyching themselves out uh with the numbers that were being thrown around for fred um but i think that he's proven that he likes pascal has like this upward trajectory of development and every year he comes back a better player um every year he kind of shows that he's among the top tier of his type of player um, you know, he, Fred might not be a top five point guard like Kyle may be, but he's definitely ascending um, along the, you know, the ranks. So I think that um, when it comes to a point guard leading your franchise, unless they're like a number one pick, it's quite difficult to um, uh, develop and kind of cultivate the type of player you want running your offense for years. And the Raptors have like really done that. They've been in a unique position where they had someone like Larry to take Fred under his wing and teach him everything he knows. So, um, in that sense, I'm confident with Fred. I think that his contract is really good, it's movable, it's valuable. Um, so yeah, I have nothing but, um, uh, good things to say about it. I, I, you know, right now as is, I'm not sure Fred is ready to, you know, lead a championship caliber offense, but I mm-hmm. think that it is not out of the realm of possibility that in a couple of years, he will absolutely be that kind of point guard.
0: You wrote this piece back in September for basketballnews.com about Van Vliet and what he can learn from smaller guards around the league. And I remember in your closing paragraph, you mentioned that van vliet seems to add another skill to his arsenal every offseason like a consistent three-point shot or just upping his game defensively what else do you think fred has to do to kind of reach that next level because it feels like he's on the cusp of being an all-star
1: right yeah um in the piece i specifically talked about um what he's good at and also the things that he's um he needs to uh, add to his offensive game in order to just reach that next caliber of point guard and I just feel like um, it's becoming apparent to fans because he's just right on the cusp of it and it's all things that are kind of reasonable additions that are not um, outrageous so things like improving his in-between game which is totally possible for Fred because um, he is a really good catch and shooter he has you know a great free throw percentage so it's not Uh, outrageous to say oh this guy can develop a mid-range game and you know I also wrote that he would benefit from uh, floater and better finishing and I feel like once those things happen the game will just open up so much for him because as it stands um, you know NBA defenses recognize Fred as this guy who's deadly from the perimeter and um, not much else like if he as soon as he comes within the arc um his offensive options dwindle rapidly so teams can just kind of lurk around the basket and just kind of swat his shots which is you know something frustrating that fans have like seen across the years um so you know the things that make a difference that make the difference between kyle and fred is that when kyle is within the arc he's still a threat so teams have to come up a bit their big men have to come closer to kyle which create these opportunities for him to finish so i feel like when it comes to fred um, d- creating that that game, uh, between the basket and between the three point line will just um just take him to a next caliber of point guard.
0: I remember seeing on Twitter someone was trying to come up with nicknames for Malachi Flynn, and someone mentioned you know Red <laughs> Van Vliet as a possible nickname just because they're so comparable, at least you know physically. Do you see any Fred VanVleet in Malachi Flynn or you know based off of footage and feedback of his game that you've seen which player does Flynn most remind you of?
1: Out of the Raptors backcourt?
0: It it could be the backcourt or, or anyone in the association who's the most comparable player to Malachi Flynn.
1: Um let's think. I want to say Uh, I can't really think of a comparison, honestly. I might say... He's that special and unique, I suppose. Yeah. It's going to sound weird, but I want to say Dame Lillard in terms of offense. But, like, obviously Dame is, like, arguably the best point guard in the NBA with uh, Steph Curry out. Of course. Um, But I'm saying as a rookie, when I see Malachi play, um, he's a great defender. He has great anticipation on passes and, you know, swiping them, just like for Van Vliet. Which I think is where the comparison comes from. Uh, Fred, I think we're going I think uh, Malachi will become a fan favorite just because um, he has this way of keeping up with Petsky guards. Um, he's not as strong as Kyle, but the reason why I say Dame and the reason why I think he's actually more offensively closer to Kyle is because he's just like a pick and roll maestro. Like he's really great yeah. with um, com- coming off those screens and going downhill and finishing and. Um, just creating opportunities off of that pick-and-roll game that Fred doesn't really have yet. And interestingly enough, uh, Malachi has a really awesome mid-range game as well. So that also opens up the offense for him already uh, in college. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's why I think that the, the comparison to Fred becomes, comes from the fact that they're both, you know, defenders, they're both smaller, uh, mm-hmm. and they, they're both um, not crazy explosive, they're not crazy athletic, so I think that's where the comparison comes from, but offensively, I think uh, Malachi's game is closer to a, a classic point guard, whereas Fred is kind of like a shooting guard, point guard hybrid.
0: Well, I'm happy to say that the backcourt is staying intact for Toronto, with some new blood, of course, in Malachi Flynn, but the front court yasmin that's where the question's lie for me and this comes of course on the heels of Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol, both heading to Los Angeles albeit to two different teams i think a lot of raptors fans kind of expected one to depart this off season. certainly not both uh, and i'm speaking for myself who do you think the raptors will ultimately come to miss more and we'll talk about their replacements in a second but can you make an argument that you know, Marcus Sol's departure, despite being older and certainly looking his age in the postseason, that perhaps his loss is the bigger deal.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, prior to the bubble during the hiatus, uh, fans were often discussing um, which which big men would we keep because um that the possibility of keeping bold was virtually impossible heading into the off season right. so you know most like i think it was split 50-50 where people were saying you know surge has the better numbers surge is younger um of course you keep surge whereas a lot of uh, fans including myself were saying that mark is more of the um the offensive and kind of defensive hub that the team can play off of he's like a defensive anchor he just he has more of like this um Value that doesn't show up on the stat sheet that you know advanced stats love. You know, advanced stats love Marcus all for a reason because mm-hmm. he's just always making the correct decisions despite you know any physical limitations. But you know, interestingly enough, uh, Mark was injured so often this season that you know the team still excelled in his absence. So, I it's, I feel like a lot of the um. Uh, the numbers as to how it's, it's very hard to predict how the Raptors are going to do next season because <laughs> of the injuries that they dealt with um, with with both their big men. So um, even though I feel like there's their ceiling, I feel like has gone a little lower. That's without a doubt. Their ceiling is a little lower, but I feel like their floor has gotten a little higher Uh, with Aaron Baines being like a very traditional big man. And the way his screening ability can just open up the game so much for the guards and for uh, Pascal. So the Raptors may not be able to, you know, last season they looked like they could be a championship team um, during the regular season. They might Mm. not look like that going into next season, but we're bound to get um, competitive basketball every night. They're not, they might not be. top three and contending teams like they were but they're gonna be a hard out in the playoffs
0: it's such a a new looking front court it's kind of a shock to the system for raptors fans besides you know bringing back chris boucher on a new deal they sign alex len who is a rare former lottery pick you know we remember winning the championship without a lottery pick on the roster but like you mentioned the new legend in town the man with this massive following coming in to be a prominent frontcourt addition is Baines. And I think a lot of the hype stems from that Baines fan club Twitter account, which is hilarious and everyone certainly needs to check out. I know that this is a relatively safe contract being two years, 14.3 million with that reported team option, but the hype train is almost too much for a guy who's turning 34 years old next month. So is Baines someone who... (laughs) can come in and certainly not account for losing Abaka and Gasol all by himself but you know at the very least fill in some of those blanks on a nightly basis
1: yeah i think that the raptors are going to opt to do small ball a lot more like i think they're going to play their best lineup uh more often this season whereas before it was something that just was you know whipped out in game six of the Celtics series but i think yeah. we're gonna see them closing with that lineup a lot more i think baines will be a player that's gonna match with size so if you're playing in you play baines if you're playing you know the celtics and they have tristan thompson on the court you're gonna have baines out there because he's such a he's he can stretch the floor he's attempted more threes last season than um gasol or ibaka which is something i was like shocked to find out mm-hmm. um he he's a big body um, he's actually a little more b- mobile than both. Um, so I think that he's uh, like the perfect addition. If you didn't have those other two guys, I think he was a really great addition to the team. Uh, obviously, because you're missing Surge. Surge. one thing that was so great about him is that he was such a willing shooter. He had absolutely no hesitation. Um, if the offense, you know, had a good sequence, if it ends in a surge shot, it's a good se- uh, offensive sequence for the team. Um, but all that does is really put the place the onus on... Um, Kyle on Fred on Pascal. Um, I think we could expect we could definitely expect um, a higher usage OG going into next season. I think that's the easy fill-in for Sergi Baka, giving more OG more usage and perhaps seeing him turn into like a fifteen points, uh, per game scorer. So. I think that Aaron Baines was honestly the best option outside of um the guys that we did lose. I don't know how I would have felt about uh, Tristan Thompson fitting into the system, right? But Aaron Baines allows the Raptors and even Alex Len to a smaller degree. Um, I can see him perhaps being played ten minutes a game during the regular season. Um, both allow the Raptors to continue playing their five out offense. Uh, continue allow it continues them. Uh. It continues to allow them to give Pascal the most space possible to operate, which is ultimately what you want. Uh, it's what you want going into twenty twenty one. So yeah, I think that they're they're in a position to continue playing Raptors style basketball, which is like ultimately the best outcome um, uh, that you could have hoped for outside of losing your two big men.
0: Is that something that Raptors fans should just expect to see more of? Just small ball lineups. You know, Siakam at the five, OG at the four, because you look at that front court, Boucher, Len, Baines. These aren't guys that you would necessarily expect to be playing heavy minutes. Is that is this kind of going to be a new philosophy for the Raptors? Just kind of go small, go fast, go hard.
1: Yeah, I think I I think that it would be uh, Pascal at the four and OG at the five because I think OG has shown himself to be a better screener than Pascal. He's right. you know, just kind of a brick wall on those screens, whereas Pascal <laughs> is a little more you know feathery. He kind of goes with the win. So <laughs> certainly, um, yeah, I I think the best thing that has come out of the off season is that the Raptors still have their best lineup intact. So with that said, I think that um, it's a weapon for them to use in the playoffs um, still. So. Um, Yeah, I think that when it comes to more competitive matchups, when it comes to playing teams, um, when it comes to playing teams that... rely heavily on their big men, we might uh, see the Raptors um, play a five out, you know, small ball lineup so that they can force big men to guard in space and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I expect to see a lot more, instead of um, Larry and Ibaka pick and rolls, we're gonna see a lot of Larry and OG pick and rolls, which, you know, kind of showed itself in the Celtic series to be a really awesome play, um, considering OG's kind of just grown into such a solid uh, catching shooter.
0: going back to the guards for a moment it's kind of a touchy subject he has been but i'm going to bring up terrence davis here and someone who certainly exceeded any and all expectations during his rookie campaign you know ending up on the all rookie second team and we would certainly expect him to be in a greater role in year two but of course he's been recently charged with these seven criminal offenses including assault after allegedly slapping his girlfriend Yasmin, we've seen the team make their statement. We've seen Davis himself return to social media with his workout videos. If you were in the shoes of Raptors management right now, what would be your game plan towards tackling Davis's tenure with the franchise? Because these are clearly very serious charges.
1: Yeah, um, when it occurred, I was just convinced that he'd be cut from the team. And I feel like my uh, feelings about that are starting to dwindle. Like, I don't see the team cutting him anymore, uh, which would be unfortunate. You know, I think that they should take the chance to send a clear message that, you know, something that happens weirdly frequently in this league shouldn't be tolerated at all. Um, But, you know, ultimately, I feel like these teams are businesses and they're going to operate as such, um, as disappointing as it is. Uh, I don't know how they can remedy the situation. Like it would have to be something drastic, like perhaps giving his uh, salary to domestic violence victims or something drastic. But even then it's like how what kind of message are you sending when you continue to employ um, and have your team um, be represented by uh, the face of a guy who did something like this. So, you know, it's it's so it's so deeply disappointing because Mm-hmm. the the contrast between how I felt about Terrence Davis, you know, I thought he was going to be, like, the light of the team but then there was, like, a series of weird things happening where, you know, he was like, yeah. posting, like, uh po- like, uh conspiracy propaganda and anti-mask propaganda and then it just culminated to this and it's clear that he's not okay fully, like, this is a guy who's dealing with some stuff um, and I'm not sure that they should want that around the team, um, but yeah, I, I honestly don't know what they're going to do about it. Um, but I'm going to be waiting to see and waiting to find out because they do have an opportunity to kind of set a precedent uh, in a league where this kind of thing is always so often just swept under the rug
0: well, whether it's immaturity or whether he's battling his own personal demons or going through something, I'm not necessarily sure. Maybe the the league and the team are going to wait for these cases to kind of play themselves out before they make a decision on whether or not he'll be with the roster for the foreseeable future. But still, like you said, it's it's not a good look for anyone involved. And time will tell uh, whether or not Davis will be a Toronto Raptor next season. But I, I think we're kind of at the point now where we can look at Toronto's off season in a nutshell, we're not expecting any more big moves. Certainly anything that would create a giant shift in the standings, barring a, you know, out of nowhere Giannis and Tentacupo trade, but you know, so you're handing out grades, Yasmin, what grade are you giving the Raptors after what's transpired this off season? Are you going high? Are you going low somewhere in the middle?
1: Um, I think I'd just give them um, a B or even a B plus because um i think the goal that masai has reiterated time and time again has been keep retaining uh 2021 flexibility which he's nailed um and you know i i i, t- I take off marks for not keeping one of the centers <laughs> yeah. um, but ultimately it, it, i feel like serge and mark you know when you when i look at their situations individually i think that they did make the right decision um they opted to go with security they wanted the two years um, they wanted to, you know, I feel like if we were playing in Toronto, even it would have been a different story. You know, I feel like playing in Tampa had a hand, um, in their decision-making, you know, like yeah. what if the Raptors changed locations midway through the season that would suck to have to relocate again, uh, in the middle of the season, which is that, you know, there's a chance of that happening. So I, I feel like these, those guys made the right decision. Um, and it just sucks that the uh, Raptors couldn't retain one of them. But ultimately, I feel like Masai's recovery was great. He didn't panic. He didn't make any premature trades. I thought he might prematurely trade Norm, but it seems that he's just going to hold on to it. And that patience, um, I feel like, will benefit the Raptors when they, um, if they ultimately do make that trade, which I think they will, um, in uh, before um, the you know midway through the season. So, um, I yeah, I'm going to give him like a, a B plus.
0: Have we seen not maybe the peak of this iteration of the Toronto Raptors? Because obviously it's difficult to exceed a championship. You can't get higher than that. But with Kyle Lowry kind of getting up there in age, and there's no real certainty about what 2021 is going to bring, whether or not they can right. land Giannis in free agency or another max level player. You know, you know, what's kind of your three to five year outlook for where the Raptors are going to be and how successful they can ultimately be?
1: um it's weird because it's, it's kind of um uh is very um the the two outcomes are very contrasting um either they go the route where they do ultimately get Giannis and kind of become a dynasty where they can win (laughs) championships in this window because all of all of their players would be tremendously talented all around the same age all locked up on long-term contracts like it would be a beautiful thing (laughs) or they can just end up you know um riding out with Pascal and just surrounding him with elite role players which will be a great fun team but I think it will be like those you know DeMar DeRozan teams where there's ultimately a ceiling on it because um you have a great player but they might not be able to do this alone Um, so, you know, yeah, I think that, um, we, we either get a team that's going to be entertaining to watch, but we'll ultimately have a ceiling in the, perhaps the second round, they might be able to sneak into an Eastern conference, uh, finals, or we have the chance to see a window where multiple championships are possible. So, (laughs) um, it's, 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 it's a lot of pressure on Masai, but he just, he seems so like incredibly confident about everything which is mm-hmm. so like reassuring as a fan just seeing them so confident seeing them um you know they one as the free agency was going down and i'm seeing how they're not panicking i'm seeing how they're not making any erratic changes they didn't bite on any james harden news which they easily could have um bitten on um they didn't do any of that but they just uh stayed the course so that makes me think that you know something's gonna happen in 2021
0: Well, Yasmin, if we could speak Giannis to Toronto into existence on this podcast, we most certainly would. You know, it would give Toronto Raptors Twitter a great deal of peace of mind. Uh, That Supermax might still be coming (laughs) with the Milwaukee Bucks. That remains to be seen. But uh, Yasmin, the show is drawing to a close here. But as I like to do with all of my guests, I have some fun rapid fire questions to send you on your way.
1: Go for it. (laughs)
0: So I remember you mentioning on Twitter recently that you taught your little sister how to use email and she went on to send yes. you these five <laughs> extremely sentimental and thoughtful messages about how much she loves you and how great a sister you are. And I looked at some of the responses and they were from followers who have siblings of their own and they w- and that their siblings would never be that nice or loving to them. So I have to know Yasmin, what's your secret? Are you seriously the greatest sister ever?
1: Uh, yes, but also <laughs> um, <laughs> um, for like for me, my, I I was 18 when she was born, so she's only eight years old. I'm 26. Um, yeah. So it's it's almost like a mother daughter <laughs> dynamic um, <laughs> because I'm so much older than her. Um, there are limits to that. Like I can't relate to her on the level of a child, which I wish. I wish we were like. I wish I was younger so that I can relate to her on that level. I wish she was older, or rather. Uh, but because of that, like, she, you know, she looks up to me. I, I was, like, already grown. I was an adult when she was born. So I, I like, people shouldn't be hard on themselves. <laughs> like, if their siblings <laughs> argue, like, it's completely normal. I have a brother that's, like, uh, less than two years younger than me, and our relationship's a different dynamic, even though, you know, we're great friends. Uh, but yeah so they shouldn't be hard on
0: themselves <laughs> well i could safely say that your little sister has more knowledge using email than my mom does who uh contacts me on a regular <laughs> basis telling her how to compose an email but uh, that's neither here nor there uh <laughs> yasmin i ask everyone this on the show because lord knows i can never settle on a new program to watch so i'm curious if you've binge watched any shows during this pandemic or any programs that you would recommend for me
1: Oh my god! I've watched so much. Um, i re- <laughs> I watched all of the Simpsons, like all 30 seasons of the Simpsons wow. when we first got into quarantine. Um, before I had only like caught um, through my childhood like a couple of seasons um through the early 2000s that I remember. But I actually sat down and I watched all of it this time, uh, which was great. I do love that show. Um, what else? I recently watched um Queen's Gambit, okay, which was really good. Yeah, I love how it. It felt like a movie, but uh, it was a limited series. Um, I love Bob's Burgers. I love like cartoons. <laughs> if you can't tell, <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I, I just love cartoons. I've been watching um, a lot of like trashy um, horror films as well. Like just garbage ones that aren't very good. Uh, but yeah, for me, like I just honestly, I watch like everything when it comes to movies. Shows I'm a little more. Um, uh, picky about, but when it comes to uh, movies, like I'll literally watch whatever. Um, so yeah, like I, if I if I could recommend um, to you, I would recommend. Uh, do you have you watched Bob's Burgers?
0: <laughs> I have watched Bob's Burgers. It kind of blends in okay, with everything okay. else that I watch, like Family Guy, The Simpsons. But I, I quite enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's more wholesome.
0: It is, yeah, in a sense, yeah. Yeah,
1: like I like I like the relationship the family has more than um you know Family Guy and so they kind of hate each other on Family Guy.
0: <laughs> I forget the name of the voice actor that does Bob, but he seems to be everywhere. He he's also doing Archer. Oh, sure. yeah. I think he does oh, Family yeah. Guy as well. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> and it's so funny because he has like just kind of a mundane a monotone voice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned uh, Queen's Gambit. I, I see all of these news stories about how chess sales are going up. Everyone's getting a chess board over the holiday season. Have you fallen victim to that? Has the show influenced you to get into the game?
1: I, I like chess. I've played, like, um, since I was, like, 13. Like, I, I'm not very good, but I know how to play the game, and I play with my brother. My brother's really good. Like He used to do competitions and stuff, but I'm not, like... I'm just pretty average at it. I understand it on a very basic level, just so he could pract- I, just so he was able to practice on somebody. <laughs> so I'm, I, I didn't fall victim to that. But luckily, I had a basic understanding of the game before I watched the series, um, which I think helps. Like, if you have a basic understanding of uh, chess, it makes the series a little more understandable. Except, like, I had no clue about what you know uh, strategies they were talking about. Like, I didn't know there was such things as a uh, chess strategies. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm going to stick to checkers. Uh, Thank you very much. That's simple enough for me. Uh, But Yasmin, I think one thing the Dishes and Dimes crew has down to a science is some good old slander. You know, talking smack, if you will. Bringing the (laughs) jokes on the podcast. Now, I won't ask you for a definitive ranking. But if you were to give me the top three Dishes and Dimes hosts who are the best of the best when it comes to slander, how would they rank?
1: Oh, let's think. Uh, I'm, pro- I'm gonna have to put Iman up there because when she gets going you just have to listen like she can she can go on a roll I love it because she knows exactly what she wants to say and like it- she just hits the nail on the head Kelsey is a close second because she has like her opinions and her opinions like they never waver on anything and you like let it be known uh, And then third is a toss-up. It's like let me think I think Sandy's up there uh, But also Sidra Sidra's hilarious um Noor and uh, Katie are very sweet, like their slander is very limited, I think it's limited to like Milwaukee Bucks slander. (laughs) Um, And yeah, like, and that's the same with me, like my slander is just kind of limited to the Bucks and Clippers, like I'm not very slanderous. Um, But, you know, when it comes to slander, it takes like conviction, it takes decisiveness, (laughs) it takes things that I'm like not really, like... Am like it's not part of my personalities.
0: So. <laughs> well, we'll hear an outburst from you one of these days when the sl- when the regular season commences and the slander is out there. Yasmin will get in on the fun, I'm sure of it. Uh, yeah. But- will
1: Will and Assad are like excellent when it comes to that. Like they oh, have yeah. it down. To, if we if we have it down to a science, they have it down to an art.
0: <laughs> I will agree with you on that. Those two have have it down pat. But let me practice my my slander here then. And shout out to Martin Weiss for, for the tweet. I saw you retweet this. Is Gordon Haywood uh, writing one all-star appearance to a pair of contracts totaling $228 million, the biggest NBA con in recent memory? Or can you think of one worse?
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, oh God. I, I feel like his is so fresh in my mind that it's kind of just overtaken all of the past sure. like, uh, horrible contracts. Like I literally can't remember bad contracts because this one is just so egregious. Um maybe the white side one was really bad, I remember.
0: Um, that was ugly, yeah. All
1: of the bad, yeah, the bad contracts I could think of, like, you know, when you think of people like Russ and Chris Paul, like those were guys who in their hey,day were like MVP caliber, you know, uh, face of the league type players. Uh, but Hayward, like he managed to flip this money and was never that status, which is <laughs> what makes it just so shocking. Uh, but yeah, like, four years, $120 million is just absolute insanity. Like, it's going to look real bad when he's, like, entering, you know, age 34 and stuff. Like, Michael Jordan, man, what is he thinking? Like, I, I don't <laughs>
0: Michael understand. Jordan has money to spend, <laughs> so apparently. Sorry. Blowing it on Gordon Haywood. Oh one, one all-star appearance, uh, just to put that into context. But on the polar opposite spectrum, without naming a co-host of your show... To spread a little love on social media, what's one or two accounts you believe more people should be following these days?
1: Hmm, let me think. Uh, Emma J. Brown, you know, OG fan extraordinaire. Okay, I, yeah, I just yeah. love, how, I love how lighthearted her account is. <laughs> like, she's just here <laughs> for OG stuff, like nothing else. <laughs> um, Adam uh, Aronson, who's like a, a really young um, Sixers fan and writer. Okay. Um, I think he's only like 18 years. And I for personally, I always say the Sixers are like my surrogate team. Like outside of the Raptors, I love to follow the Sixers. So if you want like, a, and there's always something stupid. Like the Raptors, I always say they're such a well run organization with like minimal drama that I love following the Sixers because it kind of gives me my messy fix. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want like, if you want drama, if you want like um, humor, uh, if you want something going wrong and someone like interpreting it really well, it might be less so uh, with Daryl Morey around. But I would recommend following uh, that account. Um, uh, What else? Like, uh, Samson is great. Um, He's always boosting writers' work. He's always doing some sort of giveaway um, for people um, who need it, who want to break into media. So I recommend uh, following Samson folk as well. But yeah, just, you know, honestly, just go through my follows list. I follow awesome people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you recently followed me, so I'm very happy about that. I finally made the list. That was weird.
1: I thought I. I, I, that was weird I honestly thought I've been following you that was very strange
0: that's <laughs> uh, all good a lot of people don't follow me I don't take it personally don't worry <laughs> but uh, on on an episode of the Dishes and Dimes weekly show featuring Alex Kennedy that I recently watched you picked Marcus Gasol as the NBA player you'd want to be in the Hunger Games with and you mentioned that you would have a garden he, he goes to the Spanish countryside every year and knows how to survive with limited resources <laughs> so that made me think, Yasmin. From any player that's ever suited up for the Toronto Raptors specifically, who's the player you'd least want to be paired with in the Hunger Games?
1: Oh my God, that's a tough one. Let me think. Um,
0: there's a lot to choose from mm, here.
1: <laughs> yeah, jeez. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, um, I'm gonna say Barioni because I keep coming back to his um, Instagram bio. <laughs> <laughs> where he lists like his where he lists his jobs and he he has things like model Dj things like ri- written like that and I'm like I don't know how I would survive with that like he seems like very European cool and I feel like that's not very practical for hunger games so I'm not oh, sure God. I can go with him. So yeah like I feel like that would be my choice for worst hunger games partner.
0: And he's also extremely tall and and very slow, you know, hiding and maneuvering (laughs) would be next to impossible for our favorite Ilmago. But uh, I remember in a piece for the Neon playbook entitled How to Watch Basketball If You've Never Watched Basketball Before, you said with your incredibly biased opinion, of course, that the game is very watchable (laughs) because of its constant scoring and motion. So... From a pure aesthetic standpoint Yasmin, which sports do you believe are the least watchable for a non-sports fan just flipping through the channels?
1: For a non-sports fan, I feel like baseball is something that you have to have like some sort of uh, you, I feel like to get beat into baseball you have to have, you have, to have um, played it or have a family member that got you into it young or something. I yeah. feel like that sport is really tough to get into as you're older <laughs> Uh, like, it's just, it's not, like, the constant pauses, the, like, the delays, like, it's just, it's, it doesn't have that instant, you know, serotonin release of, like, um, uh, basketball and, you know, soccer. Like, those games have the motion, they have the moves, they have, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, they just have, they have an instant reward for people watching. Like, you can sit for five minutes and you're about to see, like, at least two cool things happen, you know, um. So, but I feel like if you sit for five minutes, like, God knows what's happening during a baseball game, like, they might be trying to get, like, a a squirrel off the field all that time. So, like, (laughs) who knows what's going to be happening in that span? Like, I can't, I can't guarantee a positive uh, watching experience for um, baseball.
0: Have you ever sat through a full baseball game?
1: I honestly used to watch the Blue Blue Jays a lot um, during, like, their run in, like, what was it, 2015? I actually sat for like several games because my dad is like a huge um, baseball fan, and that still wasn't enough to get me into it. <laughs> so I've sat through a couple, and they—they're they, absolutely like there. There are close games uh, where tensions are high, but I feel like those are kind of far and few between. Like it, it, you have to wait for the playoffs. I feel like to get that regularly.
0: Yasmin is Ben Simmons' inability to make or even attempt three pointers—the single most frustrating <laughs> weakness of any one player in the association.
1: Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I feel like his devotion to not doing so, it's not even that he's bad at it, it's just that he doesn't. You know? Yeah. Which I feel like adds to the frustration. Like it would be one thing if Ben Simmons would shoot and he was terrible at it. It's another thing that he just outwardly refuses to do so because he's not good at it. Like as he says he doesn't want to shoot until he's a forty percenter. Yeah. Like how does how does that even make sense? Like That's the difference. That's why one thing I really like. I always say that I really enjoy about Pascal is that he will try it regardless, (laughs) even if he's not good at it. He will be persistent. You know, I remember that year where he shot, what, 22% from three, and he was still shooting it every time, you know, Kyle was past him. um, So that, you know, it would still build his confidence, the fact that he would regularly do so. So, um,. Yeah, I think that might be one of the most frustrating. I think also James Harden's refusal to take mid-range shots is incredibly frustrating.
0: <laughs> Good Because one. you
1: have one of the greatest scorers of all time and he just... Like, you look at a shot chart, there are no mid-range looks available on the shot chart. Um, And that's also incredibly frustrating because you know he could
0: do it. James Harden needs to step up his DeMar DeRozan YouTube clip game because uh, that will certainly encourage (laughs) him to take more mid-range shots, let me tell you. So we saw the new Toronto Raptors jerseys recently, specifically the ones with the claw marks on the shorts that the Raptors posted on social media to signal the Fred VanVleet re-signing. You were extremely fond of them on your Twitter account. So I'm curious, which jersey in franchise history do you think is the worst?
1: the worst um i think those solid dark green ones Yep. from what what year was that 2011 2011?
0: whatever year it was they're still ugly
1: yeah like those were awful like i think those are worse than the army print one like it's just a a color that's not synonymous with raptors at all like it's not purple it's not white it's not black it's not red it was just such an odd choice and it was just such an ugly shade of green. <laughs> I just did not... I did not like it at all. Like, it was so bad. Um, what else? Also, those red um, Toronto jerseys from, like, the Bosch days. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, not, I'm not a it? fan of those. Yeah, I'm not a fan of, like... It, it was just so plain. The solid red, like, I was just not the biggest fan of it. I actually prefer, like, the purple version of that one. Um, but, yeah, like... Those two are pretty awful, with the green one being like especially awful.
0: And finally, Yasmin, the pandemic will hopefully soon come to an end. The city opens up, life returns to some semblance of normalcy. What's the first thing you hope to do that you haven't had the chance to do for the better part of the year?
1: Um, there are a couple things, like I miss going to movie theaters. Um, like I'm, you know, I love, I, like I said, I love watching literally anything. Like I love going to the theater every weekend with my friends and just watching whatever's available. <laughs> um, cause it's, it's an experience. I love going to the theater. I love ordering popcorn and sitting for like two hours and watching something, <laughs> um, on a Saturday night. It's awesome. Um, also like, I can't wait to like participate in like, um, like scrums at Raptors games when they're hopefully back. Like I, you know, you know getting into this writing thing like i can't wait to you know get my press pass and participate in that and write pieces based on what i hear and whatnot like it would just be so awesome like it would be a great opportunity and i think it would be like you know the next step in my um outside of any culture writing with my mba writing so i can't wait to do that i can't wait to go to games um you know that's one thing i really miss going to games live uh, but yeah like it, it totally sucks that they're playing in Patapa like it's so bad
0: <laughs> well Yasmin I hope you can get to those games sooner rather than later and the Raptors do eventually return to Toronto and I hope the theaters open up for you as well so you can see a ton <laughs> of crappy horror movies But Yasmin, I thank you so much for coming on my show today. I remember saying this when you and I were on Whose Take Is That Anyway together. I used to be a writer, but now I focus solely on podcasting because I read writing like yours, and I know I can't compete with someone with your talent. So I'll sit behind the mic and hedge my bets there, but... Before we sign off, Yasmin, let the listeners know where they can find you on the web.
1: Uh, First of all, thanks for having me. And second of all, um, they can find me at at CarmeloDrama on Twitter. That's an H after Carmelo. Um, Also, uh, with the upcoming season, I'm going to have some pieces for Yahoo once again when the season starts. Um, You can find me on BasketballNews.com. Uh, dishes and dimes podcast and um, very soon i'm going to start writing for the journal once again the neon playbook um and yeah they, that's where they can find me i'm you know i'm always somewhere <laughs>
0: <laughs> yasmin i wish you nothing but the best thanks again for doing this
1: uh, thank you so much for having me man this was fun thanks
0: and that was my interview with yasmin Duwale. give her a follow on the old twitter sphere at carmelo drama that's carmelo with an h Like I mentioned, I used to write basketball religiously for a number of prominent brands out there, but I'm much more comfortable behind the mic than I was as a writer, and then when you read Yasmin's work, you realize you're not in the same league. And that's not to put myself down, I just hold her stuff in high regard, so please check out her work, support her writing, because talented writers like herself need and deserve a broader spotlight, so let's make that happen. This has been episode 23 of the Walder Sportscast. Of course, please leave a rating and review if you like what you heard. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, basically everywhere at this point. And if you're a potential sponsor or just want to give some feedback, both positive and negative, I can also be reached at chriswalder26 at gmail.com as well. That's another one in the books. So as always... I'll see you on the next episode.
1: Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.